0: Job chapter 40. In the face of a less than enthusiastic response from Job after his first speech, the Lord speaks again out of the storm to Job. And when I say less than enthusiastic, what I mean is that while Job did not add to his words, he won't take them back either. He continues to stand by his claim of innocence. He has not withdrawn his case, and therefore the Lord will continue to speak and to question Job. By continuing to speak and to question Job, God expresses his care and concern for his servant Job. He seeks to overcome Job's resistance by gently and persuasively leading him to submission is, I think, one of the more amazing passages in Scripture. On the face of it, what we will look at in the second speech here consists of two parts. It begins in chapter 40, verse 6, and goes to the end of chapter 41. The first, we have a series of questions about Job and power. In the second part, two beasts are described, Behemoth and Leviathan we need to be careful that we don't see the second speech as sort of an extension of the first. Uh, In the first speech, God explains how he created the world and that justice was put into the fabric of the creation itself. In the second speech, God demonstrates that he has the power to execute his wisdom and justice, but that he may do so in ways that do not make sense to us. In studying this passage, I found two issues uh, or two questions to be critical to understanding or making sense of what is being said here. First of all, what is indicated, what beasts are indicated by behemoth and leviathan? Uh, We will look at this later in the sermon. The NIV has a footnote that behemoth possibly refers to the hippopotamus or the elephant. uh, For leviathan, possibly the crocodile. There are other possibilities, and we will discuss them. So first of all, I mean, he spends a lot of time. All of chapter 41 is about Leviathan, and half of chapter 40 is about Behemoth. So we sort of need to know what these creatures are. But secondly, why does Job react the way he does to this second speech? If you look in chapter 42, and we'll come back to chapter 40 in a minute, in verse number 6, Uh, Job says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That means that something was said in this second speech that was powerful. Um, So much so that Job was moved to repent. And I would suggest to you that it simply wasn't a speech about hippos and crocodiles, that there is something very powerful in this passage that if we're not careful, we'll actually just go right by us and and we will miss the point altogether. I would suggest to you, and we will come to this, this will be our outline, that God asked Job in this second speech, if you were in charge of the world, what would you do? Job, if I let you be in charge of the world, what would you do? Would you crush the wicked? the first question secondly would you create the useless and thirdly would you control the hostile and I think these three questions are the pillars around which this passage is built in each case power is the issue if you had the power but the principle is justice Job how would you govern the world if you were in charge You see, in God, power and justice are not at odds like they are in human beings. You know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Uh, With God, this is not the case. In fact, power and justice are complementary qualities that go together. They accomplish the greater good for the whole creation. And we've been looking at this the last several weeks. That God isn't simply concerned with us. It's not all about us, as Job seems to think. But God cares about wild goats, mountain goats, and wild donkeys, and ostriches, and things like that. God cares for his whole creation. It begins with God challenging Job once again. Look, if you would, beginning in verse number 6 here of chapter 40. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you, that your own right hand can save you. It is possible that I've been too harsh about Job, that in fact he learned from the first speech that he is small before the bigness of God and that he does not know as much as God does. Now he wants to learn more. But I don't think so. It is worth noting that God begins the second speech exactly as he begins the first one. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And on the face of it, these are harsh words. Think about it a minute. Job is in no physical or emotional or mental condition to brace himself like a man. It's like God is saying, stand up, come on, let's duke it up. This is a man who has been ravaged by all sorts of diseases. He has lost his family. He's lost everything. He's lost his friends. They accuse him of being a wicked sinner. And now God is saying, "Okay, stand up on your own two feet. Come on. I'm going to ask you questions that I want you to answer. And so he challenges Job here at the beginning. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? In other words, Do you refute my wisdom? Job, do you know better than I do? Do you condemn my justice? Am I unjust? Do you doubt my power? Maybe you think you have more power than I do. Do you reject my voice? As I said, the subjects in the second speech are justice and power. You may remember as we've gone through the book of Job, that Job has raised questions time and time again about the moral Quality of God's governing in the world. What kind of of justice is there in the world when a perfectly innocent man is allowed to suffer horrible things? There is no justice as he sees it. And implied in this is, well, maybe the reason there's no justice is because God doesn't have the power to govern the universe. Maybe that's the issue. And so God deals with both his justice and his power. The first, I think God dealt with wisdom and his power. He had the wisdom to create the world and the wisdom to create things perhaps that we would not. And now that he has created, he controls and he cares for his creation. But now in this speech, we come to the exceptions of creation. The things that if I were making the world, I would not include the wicked, the useless. And the hostile. And what should we do with such things? What would Job do with such things? In this passage we've just read, the implications are if Job were in charge, he would crush the wicked. Bury them in the dust. If he had the power of God, he would wipe the face of the earth clean of all the wicked and the proud. What would you do? In light of the questions regarding the power of God, Job is instructed to unleash his fury or the fury of his wrath. In other words, if you had the power, what would you do? Would you bring them low? Would you crush them? Would you bury them in the dust together? Would you shroud their faces in the grave? Job, if you had the power, would you do this? If Job had the power and he did this, there would still be something missing. Job would be the omnipotent power, the omnipotent God of justice. But he would not be the God of grace. A God who delays justice in order to save the wicked. One only has to examine human history to find examples of human beings Who have been given the power to play God at different points in history. And they use that power to punish the wicked. In the process, they produce greater evils than those they sought to punish. Think of the Inquisition. You can even think of those who now want to inflict jihad on the world, holy war, to get rid of the infidels, to get rid of the wicked. And in the process will do greater wickedness than that which they sought to get rid of. I think the point of this section could be if you were in charge of justice and you had the power to administer it, you would suffer the penalty of wrongdoing as well. This is sort of an aside, but it's somewhat connected. Have you ever noticed that the faults people find in others are generally the faults that they themselves are guilty of as well? To wish that God would deal with sinners as they deserve shows a lack of compassion on our part and really a failure to appreciate our own sinfulness. The desire to be in control is at its heart a satanic wish. Even if it's for a good cause. I wish I had the power to get rid of sin in the world. Even that wish is satanic. Because it is a desire ultimately to wish to replace God. A story is told of a minister uh, during the Blitz uh, in London back in the early 40s um, who is uh, going home late at night after night of comforting people. And he runs into another minister who's also on his way home. And the first one in his exasperation says, I wish I was on the throne of the universe for 10 minutes. The other minister responded, If you were on the throne for ten minutes, I would not wish to live in your world for ten seconds. But There is something in us that says, What is wrong with this picture? If I were in charge, this is not the way this world would be. And we would begin by getting rid of the wicked. So the question is, Job, if you were in charge, would you crush the wicked? then we come to chapter 40, beginning verse 15, the beginning of the portrait of two creatures. God turns from the wicked and the proud to the useless and the hostile. The two creatures here, behemoth and Leviathan, I think represent both natural and supernatural power in the world. Uh, tremendous strength, natural strength and supernatural strength. One author says they embody the inexplicable and the frightening in God's world. Here are two of the mysteries of God. Behemoth is actually a Hebrew word. It is the plural of the word for beast. So it means literally beast, beast with an S at the end. But it refers to one creature. And so this creature is seen as sort of the monster or the beast par excellence. It is the height of beastliness, if you wish. I have no problem... Seeing this as referring to the hippopotamus or a creature like it, not the elephant, uh, perhaps some ancient creature, but certainly the hippopotamus, I think, fits into what God is saying here. Leviathan, on the other hand, I don't believe is a crocodile, in part because Leviathan is mentioned other places in the Old Testament. He's actually mentioned in the book of Job. Job's primal scream in chapter three. He talks about Leviathan. A number of passages, at least three places in the book of Psalms and once in Isaiah. uh, Leviathan is seen as a creature that must be conquered and destroyed by God. Let me just read you a couple passages. Psalm 74. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. Uh, Isaiah, speaking of the end of time in that day. The Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. Uh, So I don't think that Leviathan refers to a literal creature per se, uh, like a dragon or something, but rather represents the hostility that we find in creation in different aspects against God. But let's talk first about Behemoth and then Leviathan. If we take behemoth to be a hippopotamus, and I do, then we find a great riddle in creation. What we find is the useless in creation, a creature which serves no purpose, has no unique function, no special quality to set it uh, apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. Let me read to you a quote. One author, I think, is almost poetic about this. The hippopotamus is ugly and useless. The hippopotamus is a ludicrous creature who fouls up a neat and orderly universe in which everything makes sense and everything makes a contribution. Not the hippo. If the hippopotamus has a reason for being, it is to keep us laughing at the ludicrous in ourselves as well as in the universe. What function does the hippopotamus serve in God's creation? It's this huge, ludicrous creature that really serves no utilitarian purpose in creation. This is not how God sees the behemoth, by the way. If you look in verse number 15, he says, Look at the behemoth which I made along with you. In the sixth day of creation, God made the creatures of the land and he made human beings. Lest we puff ourselves up and, and think we are something greater than we are, and we are made in the image of God. We need to recognize that God made other creatures on the same day that he made us. Look at verse number 19. He ranks first among the works of God. It's an amazing statement to make. Let me quote the author again that I just mentioned. The big, dumb, ugly, useless animal called the hippopotamus is a special object of God's care. Whether feeding on the mountains, playing in the fields, lying under a lotus tree, or letting the river gush into his eyes, nose, and mouth, the beast is a tranquil picture of playful trust. Beauty and function are not conditions of God's grace. Among the contingencies of his creation are ugly and useless creatures or circumstances for which the purpose seems unknown. Let's read this passage and just get a picture of this behemoth, beginning in verse 15. Look at the behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength he has in his loins, what power in the muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar, the sinews of his thighs are close-knit. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs are like rods of iron. He ranks first among the works of God, yet his maker can approach him with his sword. The hills... Bring him their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plants he lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal him in their shadow. The poplars by the stream surround him. When the, rivers ra- when the river rages, he is not alarmed. He is secure, though the Jordan should surge against his mouth. Can anyone capture him by the eyes or trap him and pierce his nose? If Job was in charge, or any of us for that matter, would we have created the hippopotamus? You see, in the face of tragedy or suffering, particularly of those who are innocent, we may cry, what a waste. It makes no sense at all. What ugliness. This is how Job feels about his suffering. Would Job change the world if he could? Would he do away with all creatures that serve no purpose? Would he do away with all circumstances that seem to serve no obvious purpose? You see, to judge the merit of a person or events based on their utilitarian value, that is what we can get out of them, is dangerous and it is wrong, and we must avoid it at all costs. In fact, I think you can judge the righteousness of a civilization, of a society, based on how they treat the weak and the useless in that society. We may also see the disintegration of our own society based on how it values utility and ignores humanness. People speak of unwanted pregnancies, for example. They speak of those who make no contributions to society, those who are a drag on the productive in society. Here, abortion and euthanasia come into play. But likewise, so do the arts, when the arts are reduced to mere dollar value. And so it can be with the experiences which we have in our lives, which appear to have no good purpose, no value. I've told you before, I'm really uncomfortable when after a tragedy or something terrible happens that someone says well this happened because a good a good thing resulted as you know as a consequence of this something good came out of it and although good things may come out of tragedies are we willing to say that's why the tragedy happened i'm not I think it is the grace of God and the wonder of God that he can make something good come out of something bad. But I don't necessarily know why certain things have happened. And it may seem strange, even bizarre, but God uses the hippopotamus to cause Job to appreciate that what may appear to be ugly and useless in God's creation is actually quite precious to God even Job's incredible loss and his ordeal. So would you crush the wicked? If you were in charge, Job, would you cre- would you crush and get rid of all the wickedness in the world? Would you create things that are useless in the world? Not only animals, but circumstances. And and not we had a quote several weeks ago about the useless beauty that we find in God's creation. Here, God's talking about the useless ugliness in creation, the huge hippo with his eyes sort of just above the waterline. What purpose does this serve? Job, if you were in charge, what would the world look like? Well, the third question is, if you were in charge, how would you deal with the hostile, those who resist your rule? At the other extreme of creation from uh, the behemoth is the leviathan, a monster of land and sea. And in contrast to the playful hippo who hides under the lotus blossoms, we have a creature of great hostility, violent hostility. He is described in chapter 41 as uncatchable, unfeeling, untrustworthy, unmanageable, unplayful, undesirable, inhospitable, and even unethical. And finally, in the last verse of this chapter, we find that Leviathan is actually seen as Satan, as being satanic. The physical details of this creature are a bit overwhelming. And yet God is still in control, we see in verses 10 and 11. All the forces of evil no matter how fierce they are, are not outside God's control. It's a long chapter, I know, but follow along, if you would, as I read chapter 41. Can you pull in the Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Will he speak to you with gentle words? Will he make an agreement with you for you to take him as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders barter for him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on him, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing him is false. The mere sight of him is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse him. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of his limbs, his strength, and his graceful form. Who can strip off his outer coat? Who would approach him with a bridle? Who dares open the doors of his mouth, ringed about with his fearsome teeth? His back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. His snorting throws out flashes of light. His eyes are like the rays of dawn. Firebrands stream from his mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from his nostrils as from a boiling pot over a fire of reeds. His breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from his mouth. Strength resides in his neck. Dismay goes before him. The folds of his flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. His chest is as hard as rock Hard as a lower millstone. When he rises up, the mighty are terrified, they retreat before his thrashing. The sword that reaches him has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron he treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make him flee, sling stones are like chaff to him. A club seems to him but a piece of straw, he laughs at the rattling of the lance. His undersides are jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. He makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a glistening wake. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is his equal, a creature without fear. He looks down on all that are haughty. He is king over all that are proud. This hostile creature that represents violent and evil hostility to God. If God, in fact, is in control, why doesn't he simply wipe Leviathan off the face of the earth? Better yet, why doesn't he wipe evil off the face of the earth? Job, if you had the power, would you subdue evil? By the way, there's a gentle reminder in verses 26 through 32 that we do not have the power we imagine. The javelin, the dart, the lance, these have no effect on Leviathan. But if you did have the power and you could subdue evil, what would be the result? Sin would end. Suffering would cease. God's justice would be vindicated. But something would be missing, wouldn't it? Yes, all of us. We would be gone. If we were to get rid of evil from the face of the earth, we'd be getting rid of ourselves. In the symbol of Leviathan, as I said in verse number 34, I think symbolizes Satan, the king over over all that are proud. God has made a choice. God had two choices. Either to have a perfect world or to continue in a loving relationship with his creation. I think if we were God, when Adam and Eve sinned, God, we would have killed them. We would have gotten rid of all the contamination and kept the perfect universe going. God had a choice, perfect universe or flawed universe that he loved. And that he would redeem. God has allowed evil to remain in his creation until he has fulfilled his redemptive purposes. And the results are that we see God in two ways. First of all, God, the God of the orderly creation, which we saw in the first speech. There is such order in God's creation, it is quite amazing that we can predict. The cycles of the moon, for example. We can predict when Mars will be close to the earth again. There is an order to God's creation. It is quite wonderful. But we also have the God of the disorderly. The contingency, the possibilities. A God who has allowed the wicked, who has created the useless, and who tolerates the hostile. Job saw God as the God of order. He did not understand God to be the God of disorder. But God speaks to him, I think, very graciously. He does not answer Job's questions. He doesn't say to Job, this is why I did what I did. This is why you have suffered what you have. Instead, he has answered the who question. This is who I am. And in the face of being told who God is, the light goes on for Job, and Job gets it. Look, if you would, at the first six verses of chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job gets it. If he were in charge, he would crush the wicked. He would not create the useless. He would control the hostile. But Job's not in charge. God is. And God tolerates the wicked he creates that which seems to us to be ugly and useless not only in creation but in the circumstances of our life and God contains that which is hostile against him the Lord willing we will revisit this passage next week and continue by looking at Job's confession and affirmation but as we leave just some things for you to meditate on in the days to come First of all, what would the world look like if you were in charge? What would happen to the wicked, the useless, the hostile? I'm reminded of the passage in 1 John, where John says, you know, there is a sin unto death. But you should not pray that someone would die because of a particular sin. You should not pray that this, whatever sin this person's committed would be the sin unto death. Such things are in God's hands. There are times in all of our lives when we would wish some people. How can I put this politely? We wish they were gone. Okay. But you know what? If they were gone, the world would be a different place. There are things in creation, but I think we should look more at the circumstances in our lives that make no sense whatsoever. And if we were in charge, those would be gone, too. And there are those obstacles and those hostilities that that we face every day in our lives. And if we were in charge, those would be gone, too. But you know what? The world would be a much different place. And I think one thing that would be gone from the world would be grace. It is God's grace that he tolerates the wicked and contains hostility. And it is God's grace and sense of humor, as one writer puts it, that creates the hippo. And that allows seemingly senseless events to occur in our lives. And so, think about it. What would the world look like if you were in charge? But also consider the place of the useless in our world. Not only in the wonder of creation, but in the difficulties of life. Where we wonder, why, why, why? Why have these things happened to me? And I I would suggest to you that the next time those thoughts come into your mind, ask yourself, why the hippo? I wouldn't have made the hippo. I wouldn't have let these things happen to me. But God did. And I think we should be thankful to the God of all creation for all the things he has created, for all the circumstances that he brings into our lives. Not all pleasant. My mom was saying last night she's led an exciting life. She doesn't want to do it again. Uh, She's been through a lot. God was there every step of the way. One last thing. I scribble in my notes uh, right before the service. I think on the day of judgment, many people will blame the ugly and the useless for their not coming to God. They will say, "You know, certain things happened into my life, in my life that were ugly, and because of that, I could not humble myself before you. Or certain people came into my life and they treated me badly and and they were ugly to me and and therefore I did not humble myself. Or certain things happened to me and they were useless and they make no sense whatsoever and therefore I did not humble myself before you. And I think all that God will have to do is call out the hippopotamus and say, I made that. Would you call that ugly and useless? But I made it. It's part of my creation. And everything that came into your life had a purpose. You may not understand it, but it had a purpose. And Job, I don't think Job ever finds out what the purpose is. He doesn't need to. He knows that somebody knows there is a purpose, and that's God. And he says, what was I doing? I was talking about things that I can't possibly understand. And therefore he humbled himself and repented before God. Unfortunately, on the day of judgment, it will be too late. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. It will be too late. We as God's people, I think, need to be careful. Many people have drifted from the faith because of the useless and the ugly. It's got a purpose. You may not understand it, but trust that God is doing what is best. Let's pray together. Father, far too often we ask why. What's wrong with this picture? We're quite confident that if we were in charge, we could do a better job of running this world. We'd get rid of all the wicked. We'd get rid of the things that are useless, that seem to serve no purpose. We'd have a much more efficient universe. We would not tolerate any opposition. And there would be no place for grace in such a world. We bow before you in humility and repentance and give thanks for your great grace. And acknowledge that you are in control and we are not. And we are grateful that you are and we are not. Thank you for your great grace. That more than perfection, you chose to love your creation, flawed and all. And you loved your creation enough to send your son to redeem it. All of it. May we, in the days to come, think about the things that have been said today, meditate on them, and find joy and praise in the useless and the ugly things of life. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place today. May we be lights in a world of darkness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing the doxology together?